Welcome to Mod Pod, Museum of Dance podcast, where we explore why we dance. I'm Hilary Palanza, your host. With us today is Kristen Damro. Damro is a San Francisco-based contemporary choreographer and dance educator. She received her BA in dance from Columbia College, Chicago, then founded Kristen Damro and Company, KDC, in 2010 after moving to the Bay Area. KDC's work has been nominated for an Isadora Duncan Dance Award and has been commissioned by Fog Design and Art, Airbnb Design, Oakland Museum of California, Plot Du Jour Project, Lindenwood University, and Iowa State University. KDC has been featured in Dance Magazine, Fast Company, Backstage Magazine, KQED Arts, and SF Arts Monthly. Damro is a faculty member at ODC Dance Commons in San Francisco, and she has taught master classes at NYU Tisch School of the Arts, Columbia College, Chicago, Gibney Dance in New York, and Mark Morris Dance Center, also in New York. Kristen, as a longtime fan of you and your work, it's such a pleasure to have you join us as a guest on Museum of Dance podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Hillary. I'm so pumped to be here. I've been <laughs> listening to your podcast since you've started it, and it's just an honor to be with the wonderful lineup of artists you're highlighting. Kristen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, and what were your interests growing up? Yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin in a really small town. Um, I grew up on a farm and the closest city was 15 miles away. <laughs> so we would have to drive in to go to school to get groceries. And even that town, I think, was only 3,500 people. So I grew up in a very, very small part um, of Wisconsin. Super beautiful green, lush, blue skies, big clouds, um, all the things um, that the Midwest um, brings. I was very much immersed in nature and animals. Um, I was very in tune to my surroundings. I would be the kid that would go to bed with dirty knees <laughs> at night. Um, so I was very much a child that loved the outdoors. I loved the sounds of the outdoors. Um, and yeah, I was also really interested in pop culture. You know, I think that was something living in Wisconsin that, especially in kind of farm life, that we were always a little late to the information to come in. So anytime that I got tuned in with pop culture, whether it be watching MTV or seeing magazines at the grocery store, I was always like super sucked in to the clothes, to the music, um, to kind of everything big city that was happening. So even though I was very comforted and happy being the kid that would play with my chickens, <laughs> I was also very interested in kind of what felt like was going on in a different place. It's really interesting to hear about your childhood. I, I don't think I knew that you grew up in such a remote part of the country. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's also really interesting to think about how dance kind of, well, different dance artists might say that dance finds you. <laughs> mm -hmm. So in this space, even growing up in a, a very small town, um, was it pop culture that introduced you first to dance in general, or was there some other outlet that led you to, to the dance world? I was always a mover, you know, whether it was like 
skipping through the field or dancing in the hay mound. Like I just remember I would, I would have time to myself and I would just like kind of connect with my body as a young child in some way. Like there was just some sort of awareness. Um, so I was always like a physical, you know, being, um, I loved music and, you know, my parents listened to oldies. So I listened to oldies and I always remember connecting to music in that way. And as I got older, you know, I'd sneak into my sister's room and steal her CDs, um, whether that being Aqua or the Spice Girls um, or anything like that. And I would just pop it in and just like burn those CDs out, (laughs) you know, to the end, um, just moving and dancing with them. And I also was a figure skater. Um, I fell into figure skating because my bigger sister again was doing it. Um, so that sense of like physicality and momentum and speed was just so addictive. Um, I didn't appreciate the cold and the challenge of dancing on a very thin blade of metal. (laughs) So I think that brought in some challenges for me and I wanted to be feel more grounded in how I could use that momentum. Um, so I did take some ballet classes to support, the training as a figure skater, but I just felt that both of those forms were a bit um, confining for my own body. Um, so I, I quit doing those and just stayed moving. And in high school, I fell into dance team um, and was choreographing. And I think that tapped into, you know, more of my love of pop culture, what was on the radio, we were making songs to, you know, the high energy um, at basketball games and football games. Um, and I really feel like that sparked my love of choreographing, just creating these really, like I said, high energy, really entertaining, like sucking in at the audience. Like, I think that was my first feel of what it felt like to really perform and like feed off that energy. So from there, I wanted to get training. I was like, I need to do some more, like, what is this dance thing? (laughs) You know, like, how can it be organized? Um, How can it like go beyond what I'm just like playing with, with my friends um, when we do practices and rehearsals? So when I was a junior in high school, I decided to get training and in Wisconsin, there's not a ton of training, especially where I was. Um, so I ended up going to a competition jazz studio. Um, I was definitely not the one that fit in. I couldn't do three pirouettes. I could not do the splits. Um, but I would actually rent the studio and I would go in there and I would do turns until I'd fall over. I would stretch, I would choreograph, I would just dance to music and, just being in that space and carving out that time for myself. Really. I look back on it now and I'm like, Oh, I was really carving a creative practice even back then. And, you know, just realizing that is cool to see where it comes from. And once I started getting training, I converted my bedroom into a dance studio. I put my bed in the closet (laughs) and I had my parents buy me mirrors for my birthday and I put them up in my room and my room was very small. You know, it was only, you know, I feel like 10 feet by 10 feet. It was a small little square, but I, you know, string Christmas lights and put on the CDs that I borrowed from my sister forever and um, just moved around and tried things and expressed myself um, the best way I felt I could in that way. 
There's, there's something about this that just put a big smile on my face in terms of the, you know, as we mentioned earlier, that the dance sort of may, may, may or may not find you. Um, mm. But also just your, your innate, pure love for it, that sort of your surroundings, even though they may have not matched your creative artistic style at the time, or <laughs> potentially the, if I, if I may ability, the, mm-hmm. the love and need to move just took over and kind of was the reason you did it. And it wasn't about anybody else or fitting in or <laughs> I just love that. I love that that was that that started for you at a very early age. It's wonderful to think about. Yeah. So as you as you kind of became more in dance practice and followed this lead, you eventually, you know, went through the high school thing and then came into college and attended Columbia College in Chicago, which is well known for its dance program. Did you know at that time that you wanted to continue it professionally or did you continue to pursue it just as a hobby? How, where were you in your headspace in college? Yeah, I transferred to Columbia after my first year of college. I just went to um, Stevens Point State School here, there in Wisconsin. Um, and I knew I wanted to dance. I knew like that was my choice actually going back a little bit in the story um, the director of the dance studio I was taking classes at when I first got training, I, I shared with her my excitement to like pursue a career in dance. And she quite bluntly said, I don't think you should. Um, <laughs> so that I feel like that even fueled my energy even more, you know, to do this thing that I felt so connected to. Um, so once I was in college, I was pretty set, like, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this thing. And I, I stumbled upon, um, I stumbled upon Columbia when I was going to school at Stevens Point. Um, River North Jazz Company came and I was reading the bios of all the artists as I do at all shows just to see, you know, people's story and people's history is really interesting to me how they fall into movement and dance. And someone on there had Columbia College Chicago. And that's why I reached out um, and applied to go to school there. And Columbia was such a wonderful, wonderful experience um, for me. I really felt supported in the craft of moving a space that had so many teachers that were also professionals working in the field. They offered a lot of insight of what it meant to be a dance artist in their own experience and in the community of Chicago. Um, and also they had choreography classes. We had a choreography project um, classes that where we got to just craft work. And they also provided a lot of student performance nights and other places that artists could just like chew on things, you know, try things, work with our friends and just like make work and really have a platform to just figure out who we were as artists. Mm. That must have been such a refreshing experience after having to sort of ignite your own fire and keep it lit for so long to have a community of people and leaders who saw you and were supportive of you in that space. So as you were describing, looking through the bios of of programs, I can completely relate. And I never feel like the lights are up long enough to really read, (laughs) read the full bios of dance artists. But 
I'm curious, as you know, you were mentioning pop artists and burning CDs and this sort of thing. Who were some of your favorite artists at the time that that kind of inspired you to keep going um, as you were in this sort of collegiate space? Who who can you name people that you that stood out to you as you were learning the craft of choreography? I see other choreographers work and I get inspired, but I feel like I really stuck into, you know, that pop culture world and also started to then tap into like music videos, like what costumes are they wearing? What is the scenic design they're creating? Like I would just sit for hours and watch like Lady Gaga (laughs) and, you know, I'd watch those like music videos because that wasn't my, like, as I mentioned before, that wasn't my like go-to always as a kid. I was more outside and like just in the elements. So like really just like seeing the potential of how people create an experience for the audience to watch, whether it be a music video or whether it be a dance piece. Um, And Joe Good Performance Group was another one that really kind of like struck me. They came to Columbia College and the way they crafted story and the way they incorporated dance and scenic and even film Um, was also really inspiring to me. And Liz Burrett was a um, professor when I was at Columbia College. And she was the one who taught me how to invert, how to go upside down, how to do floor work. And when it became time that I was graduating, I had a sit down conversation with Liz. And I was like, Liz, you know, I want to move forward. I want to kind of do something else. Like I love Chicago, but like, yeah. What can I do? And she was like, well, have you thought of San Francisco? And I said, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I had never been, I had never even visited. And she said, go, you'll be great. And I said, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind of going back to your question, I think it's just those, it's those big grand things I saw, you know, through pop culture, through music, music videos, through the architecture of Chicago, you know, just being in such a different place than farm life, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and those, just those experiences you meet. So sometimes just the, the person in front of you is the inspiration as well. I found um, just being more submerged in being an artist when I got to go to Columbia. Oh, I love that. The person in front of you is the inspiration. I think that sometimes we forget that that those icons can have such a deep influence on us and then also just our community and who who we learn from and even who we learn with can be really influential in terms of how we move and are moved. That's really, really neat. So may I ask, and, and you don't need to go into this if you don't want to, but being a farm girl and moving to San Francisco and starting a dance company, how, how did your family and your community respond to this? Was, was there, was this new, did you grow up with dancers and artists or was this just a completely pioneering experience on your end? Hmm. Felt a bit pioneering. My parents are both scientists. Um, my dad is a paleontologist and my mom, um, was an educator for a long time, as well as uh, a naturalist. So she taught uh, students about nature. Um, So yeah, I think it threw them for a loop (laughs) a bit um, when I really decided that this was my life path um, or my choice at this time. Life can change along the way, but at this moment um, and still continuing. 
um, what I wanted to do. So yeah, there were, there were some struggles there. I'm not going to like sugarcoat it or anything, you know, like with understanding of what an artistic career looks like when you're more surrounded around the formal education uh, path, you know, to a thing at the end, <laughs> you know, I think when, you know, there's like teachers, you become a teacher, a scientist, you become a thing, you know, and I think with, with dance and artists, it's such a self-led career that for, for my parents in particular, I think it was a challenge for them to know where it was going and know that I was going to be supported and know that I was going to be successful. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. And it's, it, I think that's exactly right. You said it so succinctly that dance like other artistic professions potentially is not a clear cut path. It is a pioneering path in its own sort of way that every dance artist has to sort of make their own way through it. And it's really, it really does require a certain type of person to have that, that drive and that, um, ability to keep going in, in all cases. <laughs> totally. And that's also what's so exciting because it's like, you know, even growing up being a figure skater, you know, it was so competitive and there were other parts of my childhood that I felt like competitiveness was, was pulled into just my, my experience. And even starting out as a creator and starting a company, like that competitive tinge, you know, is in, it was in me, is in me. And I think, you know, dance automatically kind of adds on that competitiveness that it's so important to remember, you know, we're, we're put up against each other in auditions or put up against each other in grant opportunities or residencies, but to remove that and look at it like you just said, with everyone has such a different approach to what they're creating. It's how can we uplift and support one another and share opportunities and share experiences as best as we can along the way, because how one choreographer thinks of a topic, the other choreographer could think of the exact same thing and have such a different approach. And I think that's just so incredible and important to remember when it feels like we're on such like strong persevering paths that we have to achieve things um in such a self-led way that there's yeah there's ways to honor and uplift um everyone making work absolutely and you do that so beautifully as as you arrived and I just want to back up a little bit here for a second mm-hmm. before I forget to ask this because I'm curious about you said you had never been to San Francisco so you arrive in San Francisco can you paint this picture for us a little bit you arrive in San Francisco <laughs> And what you put your suitcase down in an apartment and start class. What was this like for you? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was thrilling, you know, to just like buy one, my ticket in one suitcase and just say, go. Um, I, I was set up with a family in Walnut Creek um, through friends when I first moved here. So I did have a place to land um, until I got my feet under me with my own job and own housing and things like that. But um yeah, I'll never forget flying in, taking BART, the public transportation here, and just seeing all the beautiful colors of houses just like placed so beautifully in the hills and the fog. I was just immediately 
pulled into the beauty of San Francisco and just how nature and architecture like seems to meld together um, in such a beautiful way and the colors, um, such a beautiful place. And so like moist and cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is as true. well. No, I think that when you move to Northern California that you actually need more layers than potentially anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Even growing up with winter, I, I don't think it took me a while to adjust to that type of cold here. Um, but again, I'm, you know, I'm still here almost 12 years later. So um yeah, those are my first impressions um, of just like seeing and being in the Bay. Um, also, just like the community was so welcoming, um, yes. you know, to to going and taking class, just feeling like people were like, who are you? Where are you come from? You know, like people were open to asking questions about, you know, who you were and offering like suggestions about things and like what festivals were happening, where you can present work, where you can take class um, and just also having so many resources. So kind of looking forward to where I am now, I really try to also provide that if I see a new student in my class or if I see a new artist, I really try to say, hey, do you want to get coffee? And let's like, I'm down to give you all the information. Like, <laughs> let's lay it all out and really set you up for um, success and really to feel like you're part of a community and a vibrant community at that. You know, I feel like San Francisco doesn't always get um, all of its glory for being a dance hub, but there is a lot going on and a lot of um, really rich work being created um, in the Bay. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think it, it's... Maybe it's because it's not as competitive or it doesn't, it doesn't kind of have to do that, but the, it is that community building piece of looking out for each other. And at the same time, potentially I'm wrong here, but I've sensed in class classes at, in San Francisco, there is that edge of like, wow, this is really challenging. This is a really intense class. And I better step aside if I don't get this step, this work or this footwork or whatever this is, or this move. But at the same time, it's not um, diminishing or just it doesn't destroy your spirit <laughs> potentially in the same way that maybe another class elsewhere might. I just I think it has that that ability to uplift and yet also push your technique, which I've I always I've always loved that about the Bay Area dance scene. Um, so Kristen, it's really fun to think about you coming into the city and and moving and being in awe of the natural landscape. And this leads us to this next piece of your work um, as a choreographer in San Francisco. So your work as a choreographer has been inspired by elements of architecture, design, and even residential space. Performances at the Oakland Museum onsite and your work's Eames regarding Ray and Charles Eames impact. Oh my gosh, a piece that I absolutely mm -hmm. loved and wish I had seen more than once uh, at YBCA regarding brutalist architecture. Um, have all magnified the utilization of human bodies to emphasize line, space, size. Tell us about these points of inspirations for your work. And was this, you know, was this conscious of you, of, of you to sort of make this decision? Like, I, I want to do my work, for, you know, inspired by design, or did it sort of seep in as you, as you started doing more leadership in terms of choreography? 
Yeah, I sit with this a lot because I get this question a lot, like, how'd you fall into design? And I think, sure, you know, being, again, a farm girl, quote unquote, you know, um, as you mentioned before, I think that deep sense awareness of my surroundings being more in an isolated kind of space all the time um, and potentially, you know, more alone with myself to be more aware of surroundings that shift and change of gears to moving to Chicago, to moving to San Francisco. I was in a playground, you know, I I got to see like really extreme architecture almost for the first time, you know, not that I hadn't seen buildings and I had been to other cities, but just to be like, I felt like I was in a belly of a beast. Um, Just like getting to see the different shapes, the different sounds. It was just overwhelming in such a beautiful artistic way that I think it just like it affected me more than I noticed in the moment um and then as I transitioned to start making more work um I also fell in love (laughs) um and my partner is a designer um as well so that just immediately seeped into my realizing of my experience in space and also realizing that design is everywhere around us Mm -hmm. from the buildings we walk in to how we commute through cities to the coffee mug you're drinking out of like design is in every choice around us um so it really got me thinking about my past experiences and my current like interests with design and how dance fits into that you know i the the body is designed um, through <laughs> systems, you know, through our blood, through our bones, our anatomy, through everything. So mm-hmm. even though a building is is a much different structure than a body, there's design thought into that um, yeah. or process built into that over evolution or of, you know, different design techniques that are created in architecture. So mm-hmm. I kind of got obsessed. <laughs> I got really interested and finding ways to to make these connections and how also the rawness of human emotion plays into these like very sterile in a way architecture forms or design questions or processes um so it creates a really interesting balance to think about the falling in love piece they say when you fall in love, it's, you know, it's a mirror of your values of what you are in yourself, you find in the other person and you love. And I, it's interesting that you had already as a child been aware of your surroundings so much. And then as an artist, you were aware of your surroundings, the things people were telling you, the advice they were giving you, and you just continued on. It was like you are, you were carrying your own torch through this whole time. And so then it makes sense that you arrived at the space of design. It really makes sense. Can you tell us a little bit about just some of these pieces? I mean, we, we, I really want to get into your current work, but I think it's important to, to offer us a space for retrospection. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, anything that you loved about working about regarding Ray and Charles Eames or the brutalist architecture? Can you give us a little bit of a sense of what these pieces, I know they're all so different, but, but how, how you did it and, and kind of how you connected the, the visual design sphere to dance. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, 
So Eames oh, feels like so long ago, but it actually wasn't that long ago. I made Eames in uh, 2017 to 2018. Um, and Ray was a painter and Charles was an architect. They were partners um, in life and in design. So, and for those that don't know, Ray and Charles in the 1950s, they were kind of the two that coined mid-century um, design. They created um, furniture, they created films, they created toys, <laughs> they created so many um, things that kind of influenced the crucible of the 1950s design. They also had a large team they worked with that um, went on to continue their work. And so immediately their artistic sense feeded into movement. A lot of the movement studies were based on painting and patterns that Ray had created. Also, we looked at the furniture pieces themselves. How can we fold, meld, create our bodies into similar architectural shapes. World of it, we tried to look as much at as much work as they had created. We watched a lot of their films that automatically had movement involved in them. They created a, a windmobile that had these like spinning, rotating wheels turning. So we even watched that over and over. Um, and just how could we translate that to movement? And on the other side of that, I was really curious about their relationship and Ray being a woman in the 1950s and watching interviews and just reading more about her. And in a way, she was her own pioneer for female designers in the 1950s. Not she definitely wasn't the only one, but was one of the ones that was um, kind of creating that path. So that was really interesting. And so I leaned a lot into that in the piece too, just the relationship between Ray and Charles. We would look at photographs and their body language um, that was created. So the, the piece was really formed around two main characters, one being Ray, one being Charles. And then Ray's character was expanded by three other dancers that amplified different elements of Ray. Um, that I felt in in reading about her, researching about her, that really were um, brought forward courageousness and um, just innovativeness and all of those things. So her character was expanded um, and three other dancers. It was really fun to play with colors too. They were wearing the exact same outfit as Ray, but in an in a array of different colors. Um, so that was really fun to play with. So. I feel like that was kind of tapping into a narrative as well as like really touching base on design. And then on the other end, um, with impact, oh, brutalism is so beautiful. <laughs> I'm so obsessed with it. Um, I really fell into the form of brutalism and also what the buildings stood for. They stand as libraries, they stand as museums, they stand as theater spaces, public transit centers, even in the Bay Area, um, the Glen Park BART station is a brutalist building, as well as the Oakland Museum um, and some buildings on the UC Berkeley campus. So these buildings, which many people see as ugly <laughs> and giant and monstrous um, because they are built of concrete. 
they really stand as these places that people gather to, that they move in, they absorb information in. So that was really interesting to me. So Impact was more of an abstract piece that that leaned on that a little bit more, this sense of community coming together. And then I really leaned on the architectural form to again, build the movement language. Brutalism has an array of kind of principles um, that define a brutalist building. There has to be repetition in it. So there has to be a repeating pattern. It has to have this grandiose feel. Um, it has to almost feel larger than life, like it's very consuming. Um, the form of the building, you can see how the concrete was formed by wooden slats um, or the kind of casing that the concrete was formed in, just to name a few. So that provided a lot of like textural and um, qualitative choices that I could make within the movement when I was working with my collaborators to build on that and colors that you know of concrete came into the costumes i even worked with a scenic designer to build brutalist-esque um, structures that were hanging from the ceiling to really offer that feeling of being inside a brutalist building i also work with a composer that i've had the pleasure of having with the company since pretty much the start um, he's been with us for eight years, Aaron Gold. We talked a lot about how sound would move through a brutalist building. So we really got to, we tried to encapsulate the feel of those buildings and really what they stood for. The feeling of that piece, especially in the YBCA, uh, um, which is a presenting space in San Francisco, being in the round and being able to see other bodies across the space it was also a really interesting choice. And I, I really enjoy your, I don't know if it's correct to say this and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like you're a combination to me of a, a master choreographer and a curator, your ability to bring in these other elements and allow them to be such a huge part of the process. I think sometimes it feels, and that's fine for some choreographers, you know, the costumes may be an afterthought or an add-on yeah. or not necessary, or the, you know, I, Mark Morris works beautifully and intimately with his music scores. It's, it's like you, every piece of your choreography is an important part of the curation of your work. And I find that to be so exciting. Thank you. Can I put that on my resume? <laughs> Go for it. Well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's. I feel like that's where also design has really like influenced me in those choices. Like when something is designed, everything has to be thought out mm -hmm. from the material that's being made to how it's going to be used to the user's experience using that mug or that chair. So I feel like that is really maybe, you know, help to guide that, what you're describing too. Um, and I'm, I'm really, it brings me joy to hear that too. Cause I, I, I love thinking about those elements, like really, again, crafting the experience of what we're seeing, what we're feeling, you know, the second someone sits down or, or stands or whatever to view the work, you know? Sure. Sure. Okay, so I want to dig into something that I think is important to share with our listeners, and we don't need to go too far down this road, but 
and, but we, we, you know, choosing that word, I I think I'll just use the word and, (laughs) and I find it really important as you're describing the work that you do, being in the theater, orchestrating the dancers, choosing the costumes, running the sound design, Kristen, there's this other piece of arriving in the space to be able to make this happen. So we know you as a, as a choreographer, as a Bay Area pillar of, of choreographer extraordinaire, but can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to get there? You've, you've worked as an educator and you've taught and you've, you've brought all these programs about, have you ever felt depleted or exhausted or overwhelmed you you do it with such grace and we see this from the outside and in the audience but I'd like to 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 lend a little bit into how you get to this space Ooh, all the things (laughs) um yes I get overwhelmed yes it's a lot of work and you know not to also put lightly you know opportunities that have come my way and just super grateful for those opportunities and also I've found that sometimes asking and asking those questions and seeing what's possible has really been a staple of what I like try to achieve. If I have an idea in mind, like, how can I make this happen? Who can I ask? What can I do? Who can I um, reach out to? And I feel like that, you know, in moving to the Bay Area and having that support as a young artist coming in, I feel like that has really carried me along the way of how to make things happen. And I also don't do it alone. (laughs) Um, I have so many incredible collaborators that are there helping, um, you know, craft the movement, um, composers that help craft. It really does happen when the team comes together and building the trust within that team is also really important and transparency and also giving ownership to things and knowing when to let go. That's a big one. (laughs) Knowing when to let go of responsibility, which I um, still feel like I'm working on Uh, how, how to get there is, is again, such a personal journey and, and choice. And I think I've always chosen to like set goals for myself and to see if I can achieve that piece or that goal or that thing and try to turn off again, that competitiveness or what others are doing or what others will think, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a lot of challenges, you know, of just having, choosing to have a dance company um, with you know, finances and funding and ensuring dancers are paid and having conversations about transparency as the company evolves and really ensuring that all of our artists have a really strong voice where they want to within our company. So even though I'm at the helm, so to say, I think in just learning of that trust and that openness and knowing that I can't get there alone, (laughs) you know, even though it's a self-led thing, offering up that openness to really welcome in a lot of voices and a lot of ideas within it. Cause these pieces wouldn't have been what they were just on my own. Sure. Sure. As you mentioned before, in addition to choreographic work and collaborations with KDC, 
you're also a dance educator. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested about this new program you've just added um, to your milieu called Bodies of Empowerment. Can you tell us a little bit about this program? Yeah, Bodies of Empowerment is one of those kind of ideas that has spawned from those conversations I mentioned previously. It is a outreach program with KDC that is being co-directed by myself and Shireen Darian, who is a collaborator with KDC. And it's a platform that we're still building. So I can't say exactly what it's becoming because it's still very much in its beginning stages. But our hopes for it is to be a holistic approach to dance. So how can we look at movement, not only from a technique, but from a holistic form of how does breath work play into it? How does storytelling play into it? How does the physicality of movement also be a part of it? Um, And we want to be able to provide these types of classes and our workshops free to communities. So in the next year, so we're looking at year of 2022, providing a series of free classes on a monthly basis that people can take that also bring in new teachers, new ideas, new voices. Um, So that's how Bodies of Empowerment is playing out right now. Really excited to track this program and super interested in it. I'd love to hear more about it. We are, you're so packed full of skills and experience. And I feel like we've only touched a little bit about your work as an educator, um, as a dance educator. And you've, you've, you teach at ODC in San Francisco and have been a visiting teacher and educator in, in other university institutions. So um, we could go down that road, but in the sake of time, if it's okay with you, I'd love to talk a little bit more, keep on this avenue of the choreographer route and share a little bit about your work that's coming up, Kristen, because it's been two years since you've shown work publicly and you have something coming up um, at Fort Mason in San Francisco on November 5th called Medium. Can you get us excited and tell us about it? Sure. Yeah, it's like you said, it's kind of the culmination of what we have created, tapped into um, over the past two years and how I've really, and I'm sure many other artists have had to like ask that question, like, how do I create work um, during this time? Mm -hmm. Um, So the show is titled Medium because we have had to try many medium over the past creation time and it taps into also this idea of design and medium and what type of material do we use to create so the whole show is an immersive experience that the audience will be guided through there are installations that include film there's also three film premieres and then there is a outdoor live performance and this live piece is playing off the element of how we see each other how we see space how we see each moment to moment really interested in like audience experience how they can feel they are also a part of it without having to bust a move is the covid precautionary process limiting what decisions you can make or is it informing the show? Because you mentioned the medium is sort of how we've been able to work. Yeah, it's a bit of both. I think, you know, 
ultimately the safety of our crew and performers and audience is like number one. So we have had to make some choices around capacity and social distancing and things like that. But in a way, I'm excited about it. I think it it really asks myself as an artist and presenter to be like, how can we still craft a really unique experience? Sitting in a 300 plus seat venue to watch an hour long show doesn't sound interesting or safe at the moment. You know, I think it's, I think it's asking us to look at dance in a new way. Um, and it's asking us to, again, kind of think towards the audience and what their engagement and their perception of the work and how it can be different and how it can be new and fresh. So even though there are the challenges and um, the safety precautions that everyone is dealing with, I think it's just like shifting to dance films over the past um, year plus you know, it, it's asking us to try new things. And I think that can only provide new experiences in creating work as well. So it's exciting. It's cool. <laughs> Sounds great. Tell us how we can get tickets. Yes. So you can go to kristendamro.com slash medium, and you can find tickets. There's shows at 7.30 p.m. and 9 p.m. on November 5th. A late night show. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And bring your layers, your scarves. Yes, bring your layers. It is windy on the bay, but it is really beautiful. And we're so excited. And it will be an experience you won't want to miss. Kristen, always inspired by your work. It's also fun to get to look, get to know you a little bit more before we have to end our hour here together. So I've been, as a podcast interviewer, interviewing other people. I've also been listening to those who interview, and I'm very inspired by Brene Brown's podcast. Hmm. <laughs> so I'd like to ask you a few quick bite questions. She, she calls them rapid fire questions, and I hope she's okay that I, I sort of mimic this idea, but quick bite questions before we say goodbye. Is this something you're up for? Totally. Okay, great. All right. Favorite time of day? morning like 6 30 <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness we are different in that way I'm in, I'm in awe favorite dance favorite dance fuel and this could be you know food beverage or what have you yeah I wouldn't say it's favorite but it's the most efficient um in between when I'm usually teaching a five-hour stretch of classes a hard-boiled egg and an apple gets me through <laughs> you're a power woman amazing Music you cannot live without. Mm, I would have to say, oh, like club dance music. <laughs> and the question is, do you play this at 6.30 a.m. or? Oh, no, no. Music doesn't come till much later. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Will we see any of this, this type of music and medium information? Yeah, we're, we're, um, I'm working with Aaron Gold and we're trying to get like Berlin club vibes going on as well as um, really uplifting music throughout the piece. Oh, fun. Potentially a dance party. <laughs> if you have one bit of advice for the next generation of dance leaders, dance makers. Hmm. 
that's not a little question. It's not, <laughs> um, not a quick question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think just like trusting your own choices, you know, trusting your own creativity. I feel like there's so much to be influenced by through social media or even to be intimidated by, but to just you know, trust those ideas you have in your head, how big or how small and act on them, try them, make them, you know, there's, we have to make a lot of bad things before we make good things. (laughs) I'm still there. I'm still there. So, you know, just like keep making, keep creating. That should be my advice. Yeah. Kristen, honestly, it's such an honor to speak with you today. And thank you so much for sharing your story or a bit of your story and about your new work coming up. Really, really excited to see it and sharing it with you. Oh, thank you. Making me feel like a rock star. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story with us. And for those who are listening, please check out KDC online at kristendamro.com, spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N. D-A-M-R-O-W. If you're a Bay Area resident or in the area on November 5th, don't forget to check out Kristen's work. Museum of Dance is a nonprofit organization. We work to preserve and contextualize the universal art of dance for the greater public through innovative exhibitions, diverse educational programs, and accessible archival collections. Explore what moves you at museumdance.org. You can sign up here for emails, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram.